Well, let us pray. God, may these words honor who you are and encourage us to become more of whom you are calling us to become. Amen. And now a reading from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church in the Greek city of Corinth, beginning in chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor. His benevolence endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your benevolence. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Cheerful giving, huh? Cheerful and giving. Do those two words go together? So yeah, they, yeah. Sometimes it's like ah, giving. Maybe there's a little bit of reluctance in this. Uh, well, is cheerful giving even possible? We'll get to that question in a few minutes. But why is cheerful giving important? Over the course of a year in the life of a church, it's critical to talk about stewardship. Like any nonprofit organization, we rely on funding from our members and participants in the church. I've heard a lot of stewardship sermons, speeches, and pleas over the course of my life. Some have been very heartfelt and compelling, and others have felt needy and manipulative. Guilt can be a powerful motivating factor to give, but it isn't sustainable over the long haul. When we talk about stewardship within the church, we refer to our time, treasure, and talents being utilized for the good of the congregation, the community, and the world. I'll admit, when I think about stewarding my treasure in the context of the church, my mind immediately jumps to the concept of tithing, giving 10% of one's income to a local congregation. Now, just because the 10% tithe has been the standard way of thinking and talking about stewarding our treasure doesn't mean that it's the only way or the best way. In fact, this doesn't seem to be the model for giving that's presented throughout the New Testament. What if we focus less on the obligatory traditional ideal of tithing and invited one another into cheerful giving that's motivated by faith, hope, love, 
and generosity. Some may be able to give far more than 10% of their treasure in a cheerful manner, while others may be able to give far less. And the same goes for time and talents. If each gives generously as they are able, fueled by love, the church can live as a faithful witness and participant to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Each week we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, his closest followers, the Lord's Prayer. They asked Jesus how they could pray like him, how they could pray with that same kind of authority. And that's what he said. He says, the opening line of the prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus did so many miraculous things while he walked on the face of this earth. He healed people. He raised the dead. He freed people from demons that had plagued and haunted them for years. And he miraculously fed the hungry amongst so many other incredible works. And every miraculous deed was a signpost along the road, pointing people towards a time when there would be no more hunger, no more sickness or suffering, no more demons, no more pain, and no more tears. When we pray for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying for God to lead us into that time and place and for God to empower us to embody the work of Jesus here and now. And that's why we pray this prayer every week when we gather together. It's a reminder about what we are here to do on this earth. We are empowered by God's love for this world through the person and message of Jesus to feed, clothe, heal, comfort, and serve those who are in need, including each one of us. So why is cheerful giving important? Well, as our scripture indicated, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I want to make something very clear. Does God love you if you don't give cheerfully? Yes, of course, God loves you if you don't give cheerfully. All right? So don't don't worry. Don't worry. (laughs) Does God love you if you don't give? Yes, of course God loves you. There is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. God's love is infinite and boundless. God loves a cheerful giver because God knows how that transforms you into the kind of person that you really want to be. See, God knows it's counterproductive to force you into loving or giving against your will. The Apostle Paul knew that too, and he was, as he was writing to this Corinthian church. You can't make somebody love you, right? You think of the old Bonnie Raitt song, I can't make you love me. That's a great song, right? Yeah? Yeah. Thanks. I'll, I'll check it. No. Do you all remember the show, the television show, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? I love that show because it showcased the power of cheerful giving. And here's the premise of the show. 
A group of uh, people in a community would would nominate a family that had fallen on hard times because of some traumatic event, yet they still found a way to give back to others in spite of their lack of resources. The spirit of kindness and generosity that radiated from these hard luck families was contagious. Contractors, neighbors, strangers, and a crew of professional designers and architects would come together to rebuild these homes for these hard luck families because their story motivated them. Their story just jumped out at them, and they wanted to help. They wanted to make a difference. And usually, over 100 different people would come together to rebuild this home in one week's time. Just a crazy makeover. And while the work was, do- was being done, the hard luck family would get sent off to some beautiful vacation spot to, uh, to enjoy some much needed rest and relaxation. It was, it was a really cool thing. So this show was so popular for so long. It won 11 Emmy Awards and, and had like 18 seasons on television. It was crazy. Viewers wanted to live vicariously through these contractors and these designers and these volunteers, believing that they would do the same thing for someone in need if that opportunity arose. And the show made people feel good because they saw how amazing it was to give cheerfully. They saw the difference that it made. They saw how it brought communities together and changed a family's life. We see that with Uh, our Habitat for Humanity folks, uh, all the time. It's amazing. Well, I'm sure that that TV show inspired many others to do some incredibly selfless things. But I know that for so many, it didn't change a thing. And why? Well, some just didn't know where to start, and they feel like they couldn't really make any significant contribution. Well, I realize that this is a TV show that had a gigantic budget with all sorts of support to make this whole thing work. You know, it's television, for crying out loud. But we don't need a gigantic budget or superior skills to make a difference in the life of someone in need. We don't have to have it all together in order to participate with God and participate with Jesus in bringing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. See, giving cheerfully on a scale like extreme home makeover doesn't happen overnight. Everyone involved in these projects started giving in much smaller ways and worked up to that kind of generosity. So does cheerful giving just happen? Are some people more inclined to cheerfully give? Are some people just better than you or better than me? Are they just born that way? No, The people who give cheerfully do so because they've undergone training. I read a book several years ago written by a pastor and author named John Ortberg. And the book is called The Life You've Always Wanted. I realize it sounds like a self-help book, but it's really about developing spiritual disciplines. And the author Ortberg, he realized that there were so many people in his congregation who wanted to live more generous, more compassionate more joy-filled lives, but they were having a hard time getting there. He saw people trying to do the right things, but they kept falling short. So in this book, he talks about this principle of training versus trying. And this was so helpful to me. Do we have any runners in the room? Any runners? Okay. Well, has anybody ever run a marathon in the room? Okay, I see. All right. How about a half marathon? How about a 10K? All right. How about a 5K? All right. 
how about a 1K walking the dog? <laughs> I can totally do a 1K. I am like a 1K extraordinaire right here. Well, even if you're not a runner, uh, I wonder how successful you would be, or even if you are a runner, I wonder how successful you would be if you woke up tomorrow morning and you said, you know what, I'm going to try and run a marathon today. How well do you think you would do? Probably not very well, right? <laughs> you... <laughs> I love the optimism. Uh, no, of course not. You wouldn't do well. The only way that you're going to accomplish a feat like running a marathon is through training. You have to work at it bit by bit until you built up enough endurance and stamina to complete that gigantic 26.2 mile journey or 1K walking the dog journey, all right? Whatever that is. If you want to become a cheerful giver, it won't happen by trying harder. It will only happen by training. And the truth is, is that it will hurt sometimes in the midst of your training, just like it would training for a marathon. You can't go from couch to marathon overnight. And you can't go from zero giving to extreme home makeover overnight either. Well, I had the privilege of spending this past week with a team of our middle school students in San Antonio with an organization called Blueprint Ministries. We joined up with three other churches uh, from Austin, San Antonio, and Westport, Connecticut. There were over 100 students and volunteer uh, leaders uh, who were there to share God's love in practical ways by restoring homes that were in desperate need of repair and by ministering to the homeowners as well, sharing kindness with them. Our nine middle school students and five adult leaders worked so hard all week, and they did all sorts of construction uh, that they had never done. One half of the group reshingled a, a roof in the hot Texas summer sun. Can you believe that? Middle school kids, yes, it's crazy. And the other half did interior demolition, uh, installed insulation, and put up sheetrock on ceilings and on walls. Both of our teams were able to spend time in conversation and in prayer with the homeowners, too. And both teams felt this deep sense of satisfaction and accomplishment, knowing that their work was so appreciated by each one of these homeowners. Even though the work was hard and we all got tired and maybe even frustrated at times, we knew that we contributed to the well-being of these families in need. As I was writing the sermon, I thought about how these students might be our next generation of workers on the emergency response team who were just, they were out working last week as well. See, our Westlake UMC emergency response team goes to Victoria nearly every single month for about a week at a time to rebuild homes that were damaged in Hurricane Harvey. And they don't go because it's easy or because they were coerced. They go because over the course of the years of training, they have found that this is a way that they can give cheerfully in order to bring a taste of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. See, your, your stewardship, it helps make all of the ministry possible through this church, your church. Some of you have invested in the ministry success of Westlake UMC since its founding, many for decades some for years, and still others have just started within the last year. Being a steward means taking good care of and improving upon what's been given to you. 
You may know the names of some of the people who have invested in the life of this church over the years, but you don't know every name. You may give your time, your treasure, and your talents to specific ministries and programs within the church, knowing what potential impact it could make, but you won't know or see the full effect of that investment. For those of you who like to see quick results, that may frustrate you. But I want to invite you to see this from a different angle, especially when it comes to ministry to children and to youth. We won't see the full effect of that ministry until much further down the road. When 11, 12, and 13-year-olds give a week of their summer to benefit the lives of a family in San Antonio through construction projects, it can trigger something inside of them that might lead them to become the next emergency response team members. It might trigger them to become teachers and give back. It might trigger all kinds of different things. We don't know what that investment will make in them. It's pretty incredible. Listen, this is not about guilt. This is not about pressure. This is not about manipulation. Pastor Tracy and I, your church leadership team, we're not interested in compulsory giving. We aren't interested in setting an obligatory standard in which everyone feels pressured to comply. No, we're interested in developing generations who wisely steward their resources and become cheerful givers because they see and experience the joy of bringing tastes of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know why we're participating in the city of Westlake Hills 4th of July parade? This is a way for us to give cheerfully. What do I mean? Well, we have all benefited from the life and ministry of this church. We have reaped the benefits of the investments of others who have inv and we have invested in the flourishing of others through our giving of time, treasure, and talents. We participate in this church because it has been instrumental in drawing us closer to the God who loves us. We want to share that with our community. On our parade float, we're going to highlight and emphasize the way our church cares about ministry to people in all ages and stages of life. How we care about serving those who are in need. And how we care about inclusivity and welcoming all people. We're providing 1,500 water bottles, and we'll have flyers promoting our new God at the Movies series. We want people to know who we are and what we care about. And who knows? Someone may enter into fellowship with this church first by serving in some capacity outside of the walls of this church. Maybe someone wants to serve our homeless brothers and sisters with Westlake UMC and Mobileos and Fishes outside of the walls first. Maybe someone wants to serve migrants seeking a better life with our border ministry led by Ann Finch outside of the walls of our church. Maybe someone wants to use their building knowledge and their skills, construction skills, to, to, to help rebuild homes that were damaged by Hurricane Harvey. See, by showing up at events like this parade, we let our neighbors know who we are and what we do, which might be the very thing that they were looking for or praying for. See, God moves in mysterious ways, and when we share what we have, when we share who we are, 
we put ourselves in a position to make an impact that could change the course of someone's life. As I close today, I invite you to continue training to find that stewardship sweet spot where time, treasure, and talents align so that you can be a cheerful giver. And remember, God loves a cheerful giver because God knows how that transforms you into the kind of person that you really want to be. Let's pray. God, you are gracious. You are generous. And we respond to that with gratitude, with thanksgiving. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts. Open our hearts to to seek you, to continue training ourselves, to give of ourselves for the benefit of others. Because you know that that will help us to become the people that we really want to become anyway. So would you guide us on that path? And would you help us to encourage one another along that path? And Lord, as we prepare to open our hearts to give in this morning's offering, would you open our hearts once more to give with generosity, with cheerfulness, because we are bringing a taste of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.